Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. My name is Robert Winfrey, and I am your host. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening. Um, uh, I don't know why I feel like doing this at the moment, but hang on for just a second and bear with me. I thank you guys all the time because I mean it. Um, And it recently occurred to me that... It's always occurred to me that, you know, time is like our only genuine finite resource. Anything else we can always get more of, as a general rule. And you guys choose to listen to me as part of your MMA fandom or whatever. I don't know, maybe, again, like, I've po- I've mentioned in the past that, you know, if my voice in this podcast just helped put your kids to sleep, if for some reason my voice is... I don't know, soothing to them and it helps them sleep, then, hey, I'm happy to help. Uh, I'll take it. But I also tend to feel and think badly of what I do. Not just this, but like everything I do. I have this weird thing where I... This is actually super common, believe it or not, where I I have kind of an ego... But I also like have a giant amount of self-criticism and occasionally self-loathing, and those two things interact very oddly. Again, this is this is actually kind of common, believe it or not, guys. Uh, people who are simultaneously like super prideful, but also super self-critical and self-loathing. So I'm not trying to make myself out to be some kind of bizarre like psychological unicorn here, but I, I tend not to feel very good about most of what I do. And there's a lot of reasons for that, and you don't need the whole backstory, but... Just... As a heartfelt thank you. Because... I mean it all the time, but because I say it all the time, I think it becomes a little rote. Thank you for listening. Uh, I put this out because I enjoy it, but... This is really, you know... It should be more about my ability to help educate to the extent that I can and to help provide a little bit of, you know, uh, for want of a better expression, com- uh, parasocial companionship. I mean, parasocial stuff is weird, but you know what I mean. Like, we do form attachments in some bizarre way with people and things that we've never met because we consume them regularly and they're part of our daily lives. And I know I don't have the biggest audience in the world here, but I... I should maybe focus a bit more on what I'm able to provide you guys than just amusing myself, necessarily, so. And as always, thank you. Tonight, that little bit of, maybe a little bit too melodramatic uh, self-examination out of the way there. Tonight, we have UFC 287 to preview. The UFC is in, they're in Miami for this one. They haven't been to Miami in a little bit. Uh, Decent card. Some pretty good fights on that, so we'll give you a preview of that. And news! There's some UFC-adjacent news. Endeavor's doing stuff. Yeah, that's that's going to be a thing. And again, some other news and whatnot, so... We'll get into all of that. Now, as always, please interact with the product if you can. 
Like, comment, subscribe, star rating, written review, whatever's relevant for your podcast platform of choice. That's uh, that's always helpful. Uh, and share if you've done any and all of that. Or if you don't feel like doing all of that, but you do want to share anyway, uh, to anyone you know in person or, again, on a social media platform of your choice, let people know about the show. Always appreciated. You know, I don't do this a lot, but I am technically on Twitter. You can find me at WinfreeMMA. It's W-I-N-F-R-E-E-M-M-A, so... If you want to follow me, feel free. I'm a very benign follow. I promise I will not pollute your feed with porn or politics. Yeah, my word. Uh, so, yeah, if you're so inclined for that. I don't know. I don't... I feel weird putting that over because it's, again, like I don't tweet a whole lot. I I use it, but, you know, it's not... Eh. I'm not adept at social media, let's put it that way. Like, again, I use it, but, you know, eh. So, but if you do and you want to follow me, interact with me, or send me stuff, I mean, don't send me weird stuff, but, you know, I'm not opposed to any of that, so. All right, I got over the agenda. Let's get into this song. I'm doing this at, like, 2 in the morning my time, technically. It's Monday as I record this because, well, stuff came up. So, yeah. Hopefully you'll all be forgiving and bear with me. But UFC 287. Main event. A rematch. The fourth fight between Israel Adesanya and Alex Pereira. Pereira defeated Adesanya via fifth round TKO. Their most recent fight. That was Izzy's first middleweight loss in MMA. That cost him his title. And he's getting an immediate rematch. And can I just, I need to say this, and this is nothing to do with this fight. Anybody else have rematch fatigue out there, especially immediate rematch fatigue? I've got some of that going on. And some of it's nobody's fault because the UFC, look, the UFC does whatever they want to do, right? But there's a general precedent where if a fight's super close, maybe we get an immediate rematch. If a long-standing champion gets defeated, they usually get an immediate rematch. Again, there's you can find exceptions to this on occasion, but there's, again, the general precedent. And of late, it's led to a lot of immediate rematches. Look, Kamar Usman just got an immediate rematch. Did he need it? I don't think he needed it. Did he deserve it? You can argue that. I mean, man hadn't lost in a long time. Hadn't lost in the UFC at all. Uh, And was up on the cards for that fight before he got knocked out. Now, all in all, you could argue, yeah, he should get an immediate rematch. Well, here's the problem. And I mean this. In the last little bit... Should we run down some of the immediate rematches we've had or are presumably going to have in the very near future? Because we've had a few. So Amanda Nunes gets an immediate rematch after being finished by Juliana Pena. Again, all the criteria is in place here. Long-standing champion, dominant. Got finished, though. But gets an immediate rematch. If we go back in time a little bit, a little bit, Cody Garbrandt got an immediate rematch against TJ Dillashaw for no good reason. Uh, 
So we just have that. Um, we got this one again. Adesanya and Pereira. Immediate rematch. Not saying you can't make a case based on the criteria, but here it is again. And right before... Um, Valentina Shevchenko's going to get an immediate rematch, barring weirdness. So there's that. Let's not... Look, if Yair Rodriguez beats Alexander Volkanovsky, if Volkanovsky wants an immediate rematch, he's probably going to get it. I don't know if he'll want it or not, but... Yeah, again, like, that's a little bit up in the air, but, uh... He might get one. Again, you could certainly... You could make the case, couldn't you? Uh, who was the other one we had recently? Um, wasn't gone. I mean, John getting a John Jones getting a title shot. Like, eh, I mean, that's not really an immediate rematch. So it's just weird booking. But I mean, BJ Penn got an immediate rematch. Frankie Edgar got an immediate rematch. I'm going back in time a little bit here, but there's a there's a tendency to run some of these back very quickly. And it's just a little fatiguing, isn't it? Like, I'm not objecting to this fight, for the record. Like, this is not me going, so-and-so's getting screwed. I don't think anyone's getting screwed. Middleweight's not exactly in the best place, talent-wise. I'm not saying it's bad, but it ain't great. And I'm not saying that, again, based on some of the established precedent, yeah, does Adesanya meet the criteria as established? He does. Long-standing champion. Dude, he, how long had he been champion? When did he win that thing? Double check the date on that. Uh, he won the interim belt, yeah, 2019. And he never lost at middleweight, so he, he had a lot of defenses, too. Like Whitaker, Romero, Costa, Vittori, Whitaker, Cannoneer. Like, he fought on a regular clip. He was champion for the full thing in October. Yeah, shade over three years. I mean, again, he meets the general criteria, but man, there's just a lot of rematches that happen in M in the UFC, and a lot of immediate rematches at that. Like, I don't object too much to two guys meeting, going their separate ways, and then rematching again, but oof. Yeah, the the immediate rematches, it's just it's a little fatiguing, isn't it? I hope I'm not alone in that sentiment. Yeah, you, you guys might be out there going, no, you're crazy. Fair enough. If you're really up for this and this doesn't bother you, okay, I'm the odd man out. I'm. That's not an unfamiliar position for me. As for the fight itself, setting aside that, here's the thing about this, man. Like, can Adesanya beat Pereira? Yeah, I, I think he can. He's a good enough fighter. He was winning their previous fight. He darn near stopped Pereira at the end of the first round. But there's a couple of things going on here that I think give me some pause. First of all, like Pereira's never actually lost to Adesanya. He's 3-0 and against the guy across kickboxing and MMA. That needs to be said out loud. Pereira's really good about checking the leg kick. And Adesanya need, needs a strong word. A lot of his offense cues off of that, being able to either chip at you to disrupt you, 
or getting you to react to it. And Pereira knows how to check those things. And he does it without his stance or his rhythm being disrupted too much. So it's hard to get a good read on it. It's hard to really capitalize on how he deals with them. Pereira's a big guy. I mean, you've seen some of the pictures of him standing next to guys like, yeah, here's, you know, guys who fight at light heavyweight. And he's over them. He's huge. He's durable. And is he hurt? I'm not saying he can't be hurt, but he's generally speaking durable. He's really good. This really impressed me, like, re-watching that, that title fight with Adesanya. He's actually really good about finding close quarters offense. Like, if you watch the clinch between these two guys, Izzy, anytime he clinches up, he wants to be full-on chest-to-chest. Because when he's not, uh, Pereira's real good about finding the target. I mean, what starts the whole downfall for Izzy is being close, and he gets clipped with a left hook, and then a right hand follows up that kind of wobbles him. Uh, Pereira might just have Adesanya's number, man. He's got power. He's technically sound. Adesanya doesn't have the wrestling chops to really punish him in that area. Uh, I mentioned before, I mentioned when Pereira won, like, I think Robert Whitaker would beat him, which is not to say that, you know, Pereira couldn't win that fight. But Whitaker stylistically just kind of a nightmare for him. Heck, even Marvin Vittori might give him problems, because Vittori is just very hard-headed, and I mean that as a compliment. Um, I'll probably pick him over Vittori, but... Uh, again, like, Vittori would give him problems. I... I do feel confident saying that. Before he lost, and I again, I think I'd pick Pereira, Vittori might trouble him. Uh, this is kind of one of the... I, I don't like picking against Adesanya. I haven't a whole lot, if ever. But... I mean, there comes a point when you kind of have to <laughs> face reality here just a little bit. 3-0 and against him, stopped him twice. And both times he stopped Adesanya, he came back from bad spots to do it. Like, that second kickboxing fight between them, the one where he knocked Adesanya out, like, he lost the round right before that bad. So, yeah, I'm not going to be surprised if Izzy wins. I'm really not. But there's something about the way these two match up, man, that I just... I've got to a point... It's at a point now where I kind of have to pick Pereira or I'm just kind of being a contrarian for the sake of being a contrarian. And this is not me saying that Adesanya has no chance, but what do I think is most likely? I mean, the guy who's got three wins over him winning again does seem to be the most likely outcome, doesn't it? So, that's your main event. It's a good main event. Like I said, I'm not complaining about it in a vacuum. I rather enjoyed their first fight, or the first MMA fight, so... It's a solid main event. Man, if Izzy loses, though, that's going to be a rough spot. I mean, he's he's only 33. But he's been fighting across various disciplines for a long time, so that's something to keep in mind. And two losses to the current middleweight champion, that's always a real rough spot to be in. Pereira's 35. Reached the point where all these people are younger than me, and it feels weird. 
I mean, 35 at middleweight isn't the same. There was a weird stat that got put out recently. Um, somebody compiled all the data about fighters over the age of 35 in UFC title fights from welterweight to flyweight, so 125 to 170. The combined record of fighters over the age of 35 in title fights in the UFC in those weight classes is 2-28, and 28, I think it was. Bear in mind, uh, and I think those two wins were Tyron Woodley, one of which was over Damian Maya, who himself is almost 40. I, I want to say they were both Woodley. I'd have to double check, but... Dude, MMA at 170 and down versus 185 and up, you... They're almost different sports in some respects. It's kind of crazy. Um, and that's kind of why I brought up, you know, um, Volkanovski and Rodriguez a little bit ago, because Volk's 35. I'm still favoring him over Yair, but... Again, man, the numbers don't lie on that. You can buck the trends on occasion, but trends are trends for a reason. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, picking Pereira, but I rather enjoy the fight, so looking forward to it. Co-main event. Jorge Masvidal and Gilbert Burns. I... I don't hate the fight. And I'm not trying to downplay Jorge Masvidal here. I'm really not. He's not quite what he was in, like, 19 when he had that career resurgence. I mean, he's on a three-fight losing streak. He hasn't won a fight since 2019, actually. But he's still a very good fighter. I mean, he's good everywhere. <clears throat> I just I think he's slowing down a little bit. I mean, it's not like Gilbert Burns is some spring chicken. Burns is 36. But we've kind of seen... Burns is a good enough grappler to get Masvidal down, which is not easy, by the way. And he's a, definitely a good enough jiu-jitsu practitioner to threaten Masvidal pretty constantly, but he's also willing to stand and trade. And he's got heavy hands. I mean, this has some serious potential here to be a good little scrap. I'm just really... I'm not, I'm, I'm trying, to, again, not trying to downplay Masvidal here. I'm just really struggling to find how I think he consistently wins this fight. And I'm, you know, I'm not quite sure. Could he stop Gilbert with strikes? Yeah, he could. But I don't know. I just Burns has really developed into a... The last few years, man, he's really got everything clicking together and firing on all cylinders. I mean, he gave Usman problems before that fell apart for him. His jiu-jitsu is still top-notch. I scored that fight between him and Shemaev for Burns. Not saying Shemaev winning was some travesty, but I scored it for Burns. Like, that's... So I've I've got a real hard time picking against Burns here. I like Masvidal. I have no, nothing against the guy. But I got a real hard time seeing a really consistent path to victory here for him. So, um, my most anticipated fight of the night actually is next. It's bantamweight. Surprise, surprise. Rob Font and Adrian Yanez. Um, this is a fantastic fight. 
Like, my hunch is, you know, this is probably going to be your fight of the night. That's, again, my hunch. Uh, this is great. Font has been a guy near the top for a while. Unfortunately, he is 35. He's on a two-fight losing streak. Um, he's had a rough go of it. Like, he had a really good streak going for a while there. Wins over Sergio Pettis, Ricky Simone, Marlon Moraes, and Cody Garbrandt. Like, those were all good wins. Unfortunately, his last two fights, not so much. Losing to Jose Aldo and Marlon Vera. Both unanimous decision losses. He actually missed weight for the Vera fight. He looked bad on the scales, too. Like, something went wrong there. Um, both those guys, he was able to do more... Uh, he was able to outland them numerically, but he got busted up by both of them. Like, they did a number on him. Vera, in particular, might have, like... I'm not saying it's like retirement level damage, but he Vera put some damage on that boy. Um, now this could be one of those instances where Yanez is taking a step up, and he's a it's a little bit too much too soon for him. That's entirely possible here. Uh, however, Yanez is on a really good run. He hasn't lost since 2018. That was a split decision to Miles Johns. One of his other losses is a split decision, too. Uh, Domingo Pilarte. But the guy only has one genuinely clean loss in his record. <laughs> I mean, I haven't seen the two splits in question, so I can't speak to that, but... and Maybe I should be careful saying, you know, clean, but... Um, yeah, he's on a really good run. He's... What, how many in a row is he? Nine in a row? Five of those in the UFC. Um, four of those finishes. His only... He went the distance with Davey Grant, and for some reason that was split. That should not have been split. Like, I'm not knocking Davey Grant, who is a fun fighter, and he had his moments, but Yun has won that. That should not have been split. Uh, he stopped Tony Kelly his last time out. This is a step up for him, and a pretty big one, actually. I mean, his UFC career to, the, to this point has been Victor Rodriguez, Gustavo Lopez, Randy Costa, David Grant, Tony Kelly. Again, Grant's done some really good work. He's, he's taken some steps up, but the gap between... As I would say Grant is probably his best win, because Grant's still a very relevant fighter at Bantamweight. I don't think he's ranked, but he's a relevant guy. The difference between David Grant and Rob Font is pretty significant. You know, Font was on the verge of a title shot not that long ago. Like, he's been in there with the heavy, like, the top of the division. So this could be one of those times when the young guy takes a step up that he's not quite ready for. That would not surprise me one bit. Um, but I think... <sighs> Font's lack of firepower is a bit of a problem. Yanez is a really smooth technician, too, on the feet. If this were five rounds, I'd pick Font. Let me, let me couch this in that. If this were five rounds, I would pick Font. Over three, I think I'm going to go with Yanez. So, but I'm very much looking forward to this one. These two guys strike very well. They'll both mix it up if they need to, but they're both strikers kind of primarily. Uh, big thumbs up on this one. Looking forward to it. That could easily main event a fight night card, just for the record. Like, that's how good a fight it is. 
Next up, at welterweight, we have Kevin Holland and Santiago Ponzinibbio. That's an interesting one. It's supposed to be something else? No, I don't think so. All right. Holland, been in the UFC for a bit, been a bit up and down. Um, he had that corner stoppage his last time out, the Stephen Thompson fight, when it was a fair stoppage by the corner, mind you. He broke, like, one of his hands was broken, maybe both of them. It was a fun little fight, actually, for between those two. Got run over by Kamzat Shemaev before that. I mean, again, he's been up and down a little bit. I don't know. Might be one of those guys who's been up and down a little bit for just so long that he's, like, that's kind of who he is. Um, Ponzinibbio broke a two-fight losing streak when he beat Alex Morono his last time out. That was a little bit of a rough fight for him. Prior to that, he had split decision losses to Jeff Neal and Michelle Pereira. Did I score the Pereira fight? I thought Neal beat him, I seem to recall. I can't remember how I scored Pereira. I might have thought he won that one, but don't quote me on that. The Neil fight, I'm pretty sure I scored for Neil, but I'm not so sure about the other one. Anzanibio's um, 36, but man, he's been doing this for a while. I mean, he's got 35 fights. Getting back to 08. Feels a little bit like he's already past his peak, and it's unfortunate for him that he had some serious injuries and whatnot that he dealt with at various points, because he had a real good run at one time, and he was looking like a guy who should have been in the title picture. It just never quite materialized. Um, I'm not trying to knock Holland here, but this is the kind of fight he usually loses. And again, I, I hate to say that about the guy, because he's a very positive personality, but... I got to call it like I see it in that respect, so. And again, the Holland's not a bad fighter. I don't mean to imply that either. I'm not, it's not just, oh, he's, you know, a guy who's kind of positive in the space, and I, and that's all he's got going for him. No, he's very long. He's got good power. Like, him winning here would not be the biggest shock in the world. But, again, what do I think is most likely? Most likely is Ponzinibbio. Now, if he comes out cold... He might get, that might go badly for him. But Holland's been just, he's a bit too up and down. He's a bit too inconsistent for me to pick him against Ponzinibbio here. Is kind of how that goes. Uh, and kicking off the main card, a bantamweight fight, Raul Rosas Jr. and Christian Rodriguez. They should not be on the main card. Um, they're doing Chris Curtis and Kelvin Gastelum dirty here. I'm going to talk about that fight in a second, but they're doing that one dirty. Um, they're still in the soft touch phase with Rodosis. I expect him to win. They're, I'm not saying they're going to, like, soft pedal him all the way to the belt. He can't do that in the UFC. But I've said this before, too. The UFC has fighters that it likes. And when that's the case, your first three-ish, three to four, they tend to be... Again, they tend to be more favorable in their matchmaking. And they like Rosas, so... Yeah, this is a, this is a fight he's, he should win. 
All right, on the prelims, I mentioned it already, Chris Curtis and Kelvin Gastelum should be on the main card. These two guys are getting done dirty. Um, Curtis is in a really good spot with his career, actually. And much as I appreciate the occasional troll on Wikipedia... Someone forgot to link the appropriate Chris Curtis here. They have linked a different Chris Curtis than the fighter. So, might want to fix that, somebody. I don't edit wiki all that often. The only, I've only edited one Wikipedia article, actually. Random trivia for you. I edited the Wikipedia article for the 1990s Jeff... Um, I'm blanking on his last name. Um, Daniels, Jeff Daniels movie, Arachnophobia. Someone had erroneously listed um, a couple of the a couple of points at the end of the movie, and I had to I corrected that. I think the only other thing I did. Uh, sorry, that was the first one. The only other one I did was uh, somebody left up an erroneously listed. This again, this is Wiki. Um, had messed up deliberately. I think it was Nick Diaz's UFC record or MMA record. They had like several fights that he lost listed as wins and just, it just threw everything off. It was kind of a pain. So I fixed it. I even fixed the, cause yeah, their reference. If you'd know the Wikipedia listings, they're, they're color coded. So I had to fix that too. Just some Diaz guy thought it'd be funny. So if that's still accurate, you're somewhat welcome. I imagine other people than me have had to fix that one. Anywho, Curtis. Uh, his only loss in the UFC was that Jack Hermanson one. Coming off a win over Joaquin Buckley. Had a little bit of a rough first round, but knocked him out in the second. Um, then you got Gastelum, who is 1-5 and five in his last six. That lone win being over Ian Heinisch. I mean, in fairness to him, and I'll be fair here, his losses are... He should have lost that Jacare fight, though. For the record. Like, he lost to Adesanya in that interim title fight in the fight of the year for 2019. Lost to Darren Till. That shouldn't have been split. He lost that clean. Got tapped out by Jack Hermanson. Beat Heinish. Lost to Whitaker. Lost to Cannoneer. So, I mean, the worst loss on that record is Till. One that's aged the worst, at least. But, like, I can't ignore this trend, man. <laughs> now, this might be another Heinish situation where you know, it's a talented guy taking a step up who's on a pretty decent run overall, and Whitaker's able, er, Whitaker, Gaslam's able to kind of turn him back. That's possible. But I kind of got to go with Curtis here. They both fight Southpaw, and that troubles Gaslam on occasion. Um... I've just not been a big fan of Gastelum's form lately. Like he, he's trending in the wrong direction. And I think Curtis, despite being a more veteran fighter, I mean, he's... How old is he, actually? He's 35, and he's got a lot of fights. He's got, what, almost 40. Jeez, this is his 40th fight. Long? Oh, nine? All right. 
But he seems to be peaking upwards, whereas Gaslam is kind of on the downhill side of things. So I'm going with Chris Curtis here. Uh, women's strawweight, Michelle Watterson versus Luana Pinero. Um, Michelle Watterson Gomez, but I think she's officially hyphenated at this point. She's on a rough run, to, run too, man. One and four in her last five. Granted, uh, two splits in there. Did I think she beat Carlo Esparza? I can't remember. Esparza had a couple of split decisions on that run to the belt that I thought she lost. I can't remember if that was one of them or not. It might not have been. Uh, most recently, losses to uh, Marina Rodriguez and then Amanda Lemos. Got finished by Lemos. Um, so not the best trajectory. I imagine she'll get the win here, but I'm gonna pick her here. But ugh. like, if she drops this one too, that that's a real bad spot. Um, okay, that's the only listed prelims for ESPN. However, there's two fights that I imagine are going to be there. Well, one for sure. We were supposed to have Chase uh, Sherman versus Chris Barnett, which would have been glorious heavyweight slop for as long as it lasted. Uh, Barnett had to pull out. In steps Carl Williams. I imagine this will still be in that portion of the card. And I don't mind picking Sherman here against Williams. Would have picked Barnett over Sherman, for the record. Also, we were supposed to have Michael Chiesa versus Li Jing Liang. Unfortunately for Lee, he had a back injury. He actually shared some images from the MRI, and you can see there's a disc that's not where it's supposed to be. I'm not sure if it's herniated or bulging, or you know, there's different degrees to which that injury, to which that's an injury, um, which require different treatments, obviously. Uh, hopefully, he heals up, and it's not, you know, too serious. I mean, discs are disc issues are never fun. But they're still kind of looking for a replacement, apparently. Um, Kiesa is still listed as versus TBD, so I don't know. I'm okay picking Kiesa in the dark if someone steps up. I also imagine that they won't replace that. This event has enough fights on it. So if Kiesa's on here, I'm okay picking him. Um, if not, again, stuff's going to get shuffled around. So On the early prelims... Middleweight, Gerald Merchard and Joe Pfeiffer. The UFC likes Pfeiffer because he says things the UFC likes. Um, Merchard is a good guy. He's a pretty good all-around fighter. In fact, he's got a couple of wins recently that you didn't think he was going to get. Um, I mean, that Mahmoud Muradov one was really impressive. Stoltzfus, uh, he was losing that, so it was a nice come from behind, but I kind of picked him there. Uh, the win over Bruno Silva was kind of nice, actually. Um, but this feels like it's going to... Let me tell you how I think the UFC wants this to go, slash thinks it'll go. Because Pfeiffer has power, I imagine they're thinking this will go like Mershart versus Shemaev. And Pfeiffer is going to kind of walk him back to the fence and punch him in the face and Mershard falls over. Do I think that's what's going to happen? It might. Mershard's long in the tooth and he's a good guy to have on the roster, but he's also not really, a, you know, he has not yet proven to be a top of the card guy. So 
Uh, unless he's in, unless he really gets Pfeiffer to gas himself out, I imagine, and catches him later, I imagine Pfeiffer takes this. Uh, Strawweight, Cynthia Calvillo and Lupita Godinez. Boy, Calvillo. Remember when she was the new hotness back in 2017? She even had a decent rebound from her loss to Esparza. Um, but man, lately... She had that draw with Marina Rodriguez. I thought the draw was fair. She beats Jessica I, but uh, I missed weight for that too. I mean, it's Jessica I in 2020. Like, if you're not beating her, you got real problems. Hadn't won since. She returning to straw weight here actually, because she had some serious weight problems. Um. Yeah, she missed weight twice. That's straw weight. So her coming back. But I mean, her flyweight campaign went one and four. She's on a four-fight losing streak. Like, lost to Caitlin Chukagian. Okay, top fighter. Got violently stopped by Jessica Andrade. Andrade top. Dude, she got beat down by Andrea Lee. And her quarter stopped that between rounds two and three for good reason. And then lost to Nina Nunes. I was technically split, but Nuna, I thought Nunes won that pretty comfortably. Well, comfortably is the wrong word. It was a competitive enough fight, but... Um, she badly needs this. Like, real bad. Godinez, eh... Been a bit up and down in the UFC. She's 3-3. Three and three. Coming off of Los Angeles Hill. Uh, we're probably going to get a lot of grappling here. I mean, I feel weird saying this about Calvillo, but you lose four in a row. I'm kind of in a spot where I can't really pick you to win. Or, you know, it's really hard for me to do so. I actually think I am going to go with Godinez here. But this is, uh, this might be do or die for Calvillo. Another exa another potential cautionary tale here, people. She came to the UFC way early. And the UFC is not the best spot to develop your skills. Uh, we have a catchweight fight between Ignacio Bahamondes and Trey Ogden. Um, Ogden is replacing Nicholas Mata, hence the catchweight. I don't mind picking Bahamondes here. He's a weird little guy. Um, but he gets after it. So, yeah. Uh, wait a minute. confusing him with someone i'm not no okay I, I know what's going on in my head here um looking at his record i had him correct there's there's someone with a similar frame who fights very differently who i occasionally like half transpose in my head when i just think about it um nope still no problem picking baja mondays here but uh, let's see featherweight shylon nerdon becke against steve garcia Garcia. He beat Chase Hooper. Um, he's been up and down in the UFC. He's two and two. Losses to Luis Pena and Mahasha and Mahashte. Ahayasar Mahashte. But coming off the win over Hooper was a bad loss for Hooper, man. He beat down Hooper. Um Nurdan Beke. 
three and one in the UFC, three fight winning streak actually. Had that oh that poor guy, because he was the one who fought Derek Minner when Minner like fought with a jacked up knee, and then like fell apart after throwing a couple of body kicks and his knee just gave out on him. Um, it's not a bad fight actually. I think I'm gonna go with Nerdin Beke, but it's not a bad fight. And lastly, at strawweight, we have Jacqueline Amorim and Sam Hughes. Uh, Hughes. Uh, speaking of, you know, rough goes of it in the UFC, two and four, two and, yeah, four. Losses to Tisha Torres. That's a tough debut fight. Loma Lukbunmi, Lu, uh, Luana Pinero. She beat Estela Nunes and Elise Reed. But lost to Piero Rodriguez. Um, check Amorim real fast here. Because. Okay, Brazilian. Means I might be mispronouncing her last name. I'll, I'll know when they pronounce it on broadcast because they care about that. Um, undefeated in MMA, 6-0, nothing to sneeze at. Those all finishes. They are. Pretty good run through LFA. I, I'll go with Amarim here, actually, so. I don't dislike, like, that's not me trying to knock Sam Hughes, but. I don't know. I, I just. I'm going with Am with Amarim, so yeah. That's the card. I will be covering that Saturday, April 8th, in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. So if you are so inclined, please do stop by, say hello, leave a comment. I always appreciate it. Alrighty, let's talk news, shall we? Let's start with this. So Endeavor, the parent company of the UFC. This news broke earlier Sunday. And we might be confirmed Monday evening. But turns out Endeavor is in advanced talks to buy 51% of the WWE. The plan would then be to merge WWE and UFC into one publicly traded entity. <sighs> Where do I start with this? Where do I start with this? Um, I believe the current valuation that they're giving for that much for was that WWE, I think they had valued at nine billion. So if they're buying 51% of that, 4.6, somewhere in that neighborhood. Unless they're trying to value it at 18, unless they're what they're trying to do is value it right around 18, and then the nine would be the 51%. Right, so whatever the specifics would be. Um, I'm not quite sure if which of those um, but interestingly enough, in some of the documents that came out about this, it listed the value of the UFC was listed. Now, if you'll recall, Endeavor bought the UFC for four billion dollars, took on a massive debt load with a stupidly high interest rate. In fact, they were warned more than once by federal regulators about what a bad deal this was. They did it anyway. Uh, current valuation for the UFC that they have listed internally is $12 billion. 
So in the time Endeavor has owned the UFC, it has tripled in value. Tripled in value. And fighter pay has not gone up <laughs> in the commencement. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, fighter pay in 2023 is not triple what it was when Endeavor bought the UFC. Guarantee it. And your performance of the night's bonuses are still 50K. You're not even adjusting for inflation. <laughs> Ugh. Uh, I don't even... The UFC has to be very leery of this, in some respects. There's a handful of reasons why. One... If they do combine the UFC and WWE, the UFC has to be ironclad about a firewall between those two entities, right? They just, like, a couple of months ago, got uh, Canada to reallow betting because of the, uh, you'll recall this, like the James Krause thing, right? They just barely got over that scandal. Now they're going to be part of the same company as a professional wrestling entity. They don't need this. Right? They do not need that. So they have to be they have to be very clear about that. Um I know a lot of people within WWE both on the uh corporate side and on the talent side are reportedly happy that hey, it's Endeavor. At least we're not being sold to the Saudi media company. Which was apparent, which was a thing that got floated, if you'll recall. Um, watch the Saudi media company buy some other smaller, like they might make a play for Impact Wrestling. Or <laughs> oh, sorry, Impact, or something similar, it's like because they want it. Um, so, to if you're a wrestling fan, by the way, and like um, that you're newer to this. Uh, to either this show in general or you know, to how Endeavor might be doing things here. Um, let me let me disabuse you of a few notions you might have, okay? Because I've seen some responses to this news. So Again, there's a general sentiment that at least it's not the Saudis, okay? I, I can understand your relief there. That relationship is not going away. The UFC has a good relationship with Saudi Arabia. Like, they get paid a lot of money for site fees. That does not go to the fighters. So, that's not going away, but at least they won't own it, so fair enough. I saw a few people go, well, this means Vince McMahon will have a boss. And, you know, maybe he'll have to, maybe they won't be okay with him laundering money for, laundering money is the wrong phrase, sorry. You know, illegally, uh, getting NDA signed and having payouts. Like I have to just tell you people a couple of things if you think this is going to affect Vince McMahon in any capacity. One, Endeavor's a talent agency based in Hollywood. I would venture to bet that everyone at the top level of Endeavor has made people sign NDAs. Maybe not for the same things Vince did, but they're in there. I would bet a lot of money on that. Second, if you think a Vince McMahon hush money scandal would in any way affect things, I I hate to disabuse you of that notion, because I envy you your ignorance. 
let me recount, if, you, if you're not familiar with the following sequence of events, and if you are, I apologize for reiterating, but again, on the off chance, you might be new to this. Vince McMahon, not Vince McMahon, sorry, Dana White was caught on camera having a near fist fight with his wife. Okay? There was, like, again, I... I don't want to call it just him beating his wife, because that carries connotations that are not present here. They had a physical altercation. That's the most accurate way I can describe it. I'm not carrying water for Dana White. I just wish to be accurate in my summation of what happened. They were at a party. They were both drinking. They were having some kind of disagreement. She hit him. He returned fire more than once. This happened on tape. News broke. President of the UFC hitting his wife. The very next UFC event, there's Dana White answering questions about it. Like, a week later. Nothing. Nothing happened to him. In fact, he very famously said, you know what my punishment is? It's going to be, it's that I have to be labeled as a spousal abuser for the rest of my life. That's my punishment. How does suspending me affect anything? It doesn't hurt me. I could have retired. It, it hurts the people here. It hurts the fighters because I'm so integral to this business. By the way, Mr. White, what's your thoughts on the uh, drug testing policy and Conor McGregor still being out of the pool? I don't know anything about that. Talk to, talk to Jeff Nowitzki. He'll be the one taking your question, and then Nowitzki doesn't answer questions about this, and Usada doesn't say much publicly. And But he's integral, just completely ignoring the drug testing side of things. Yeah, Dana White convinced the, Uf- the Endeavor Brass that without him, the whole dang opera falls apart. I yelled about this already, and I'm trying not to yell here. But you can't have this both ways. You can't both be a well-oiled billion-dollar machine, and the UFC is, and have one guy be the linchpin holding everything together, that's not how that works. If Dana White goes away tomorrow, I mean, God forbid he die, not wishing that on him, but let's just step into the hypothetical world where he has a massive stroke tomorrow and is gone. Like, the UFC doesn't stop. The UFC doesn't fall apart. They have to find someone else to do that job. And that's sad, and... Look, again, I'm not wishing death on the man. And there was a time in the UFC's history when Dana White was integral. When I don't know if they get to where they are without him. Million percent. Time's not now. But the point is, if that guy, as checked out as he is, and if you don't think Dana White's checked out, check his Twitter feed, which is like 80% slap fight content. And... And all of his, uh, he's just, again, he's fairly checked out here. If you, if if, Vin, if he can convince the U, the Endeavor brass that he is integral to this, you really think Vince McMahon? And the the stories about Vince McMahon's powers of persuasion, and that's not a euphemism. Listen to any number of wrestlers, even if they don't like Vince. Who have told the sto- who will tell stories about going to see him, being unhappy with something, talking with him, and coming out of his office, having come around to his point of view. Like, 
again, I'm not trying. Uh, this is not a gross thing about some of the stuff Vince is alleged to have done. Like, just genuinely speaking, the man's powers of persuasion have swayed some very passionate people. If you think Vince can't convince Ari Emanuel and who is it? Um, is it Levi Shapiro, Mike Shapiro, something Shapiro. That without him, look what happens. He stepped away for that sex scandal, and look what happened to the pro. Look what happened. Oh, without me, the whole dang opera falls apart. If you don't think he can convince those guys of that, you're out of your mind. Endeavor does not care. Here's what Endeavor cares about. And I mean this. They care about their debt load and how much money they can get from their properties to pay it off. And they're a business. That's all they should care about in some respects. That's what they care about. You think they care if Vince McMahon? You think they care if Vince McMahon is uh, yeah, inappropriate with female talent, or pays them off? You want to? Do you want the laundry list of how many? Like, I would bet money that the people at Endeavor look at Vince's, generally speaking, list of alleged offenses, and laugh like, dude. Let me tell you some stories about some of the other people in Hollywood I've repped. Like, they don't care. They care about getting as much money out of what they... Look, man, Endeavor had a, has had a couple of good financial years based entirely on how profitable the UFC is because most of their other stuff has not been turning a profit. They're looking to buy WWE for largely the same reason. They have a significant debt load with giant interest payments hanging over their head. And they need another guaranteed financial win. They need something else that year over year, quarter over quarter, is turning a profit that they can use to, again, kind of pay off their debt load. Now, if you work for the WWE, this should scare you just a little bit. Because part of the reason the UFC is so successful at this is, one, all of their fighters are independent contractors, like WWE wrestlers, mind you. And two, the UFC pays right around 15% of yearly revenue to fighters. Be my hunch. It's always been less than 20%. It will not go over 20%. This is the UFC's own admission, by the way. Oh, and just brief aside. Because <sighs> I have to say this. Um, because I think it was Ariel Helwani who kind of got caught up in this a little bit. And he said, fighter pay is... Uh, the crux of his argument boiled down to this, and I apologize if I'm... I don't want to go over point by point, and I don't want to look it up, so again, it's late. The crux of his argument is, UFC fighters are paid more than their contractual obligations, or... They are paid more than what is reported to the various athletic commissions or governing bodies, right? Like, th this is kind of the crux of his argument. We all know this. The argument is not fighters only make what they're contracted to make. The UFC does pay out more. We know this. Here's the question. This is the only question that matters when it comes to fighter pay, okay? The only one. Has the UFC paid out more than 20% of their yearly revenue to fighters. 
And the answer is no. We know the answer is no because they're being sued over this. They've admitted under oath that this is what they keep fighter pay at and under 20%. Like they, they count like 20% or so fighter compensation. Funny thing about fighter compensation, it's a nice little euphemism because they count what they pay for USADA as fighter compensation. Yeah, USADA, that's part of your fighter compensation. How many people are happy with that? I'd bet none. It wouldn't surprise me one iota if they count the cost of running the Performance Institute as fighter compensation, which actually has a, there's a better argument that the PI is fighter compensation than USADA. But that's money not going to fighters. That is being a let that is being thrown under the umbrella of going to fighters, right? So my hunch for a while has been it's actually 15%. Like it's 18 at the high end. That's what they pay fighters. That's the that is the sh- revenue share that fighters get. All however ESPN pays them a giant chunk of money every year. Fighters see none of it. Look, man. No other, so, if you're a WWE wrestler, here's your warning. There's a decent chance the mandates that might come down from on high to WWE are make your business model more like the UFCs. I'm just warning you. Maybe, maybe not. But be aware, (laughs) that might be coming. Um, here's the other thing that you're gonna look that's going to change, and I this I guarantee, because Nick Khan, the CEO of WWE, or is he president or CEO? One of the two. Forgive me. Important. He, he's some one of those. He, he occupies an important position. He said publicly, "We're open to changing the distribution model to be more like what the UFC has." For those of you not familiar, UFC model is pay for ESPN Plus. You can bundle it with other Disney properties, but pay for ESPN+. Plus. Okay, this will get you a certain amount of things. Oh, pay-per-view's up. 80 bucks. An additional 80 on top of your whatever monthly fee it is. I forget what it is. And frankly, when I'm done covering MMA, and I don't know when that will be, but it's probably... It, it, I'm not going to do this forever. Just acknowledge that. I'm not retired. I'm not stopping this anytime soon, but this will not last forever. That's going away, from my budget at least. Uh, so, for everyone subscribed out there to Peacock, all those uh, three, what do they call them, PLEs, they're going back to pay-per-view. So you're going to have to be subscribed to Peacock. And, oh, here's Backlash, WrestleMania Backlash. It's $80. This is coming to you. Maybe not 80. Spe- like this is coming to you. I promise. So figure out what you're gonna do with that. But that's your future. Again, that's one of those guarantees I'll make here. Guarantee that. You wanna be unhappy about it? Do what you will with that information. But be aware of that one. So. Yeah, again, I don't, I don't know what to make with that. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Uh, I don't even know how to feel about that. It's almost dystopian, isn't it? Like it's not quite fully dystopian, 
But the biggest MMA organization and the biggest pro wrestling organization being folded together into one combat sports entertainment monstrosity. Tell me that's not a little dystopian, right? But you bet that's what they call it, too. Whatever they wind up calling the entity after they merge, like Combat Sports Entertainment. It's CES. <laughs> or CSE, rather. Sorry, CES is a, it's a different thing. It's actually a number of different things if you just use the initialization. Ugh. Uh, we live in a fallen world, my friends. A fallen world. <sighs> Sorry, that I try on the occasion that my religious philosophies and whatnot become relevant, I use them, and that's that's slightly religious language. I mean, you may you may agree with the general sentiment and not be a religious individual, but just a heads up, like if that does read a little religious to you, yes, I'm religious. I promise I don't preach here. To the extent that it intersects with what I'm talking about, sure, but it rarely does. Like my politics. Like sometimes it's relevant and I discuss it. Frequent most of the time it's not, and I'm happy to leave it out. Uh all right, what else do we got here? Oh yeah, you saw it doesn't matter. Uh let's talk about this very briefly. So John Kavanaugh, Conor McGregor's head coach said, hey, we've got a date for the presumed fight between uh, Conor McGregor and Chad Mendes. Uh, I have listed Chad Mendes here. Uh, Michael Chandler. Mendes. How did Michael Chandler somehow blend into Mendes in my head? No, it's late, man. I'm sleep deprived. I'm blaming the sleep deprivation. A few more hours and I might be able to claim legal impairment. That'll be fun. Anyway. They're claiming International Fight Week. Now, this would be <laughs> this would be so far within the uh, like, within USADA's like you have to be back in the testing pool for six months and have a couple of clean tests. Like, nope. <laughs> the UFC is just writing their exemption for Conor McGregor. Like, hey, dude, I don't know how much longer. If the WWE and UFC merge to a parent company, you know, Connor's been on the outs for the competitive side of things for a while. If he could stow his ego enough to learn how to work, I mean, I should stop right there because that's never happening. <laughs> never. I mean, there's some people who are like, you know, oh, Connor being in the WWE, like he's brash enough, you can make it work. One, he couldn't clean up his language long enough to be in the WWE. Two, uh, I mean, sorry, I, just, I saw some people going like, you know, he weighs 145, right? Like, buddy, you have not seen Conor McGregor in a while. One, he looked like death on the scale. Total weight bully in that respect. You haven't seen how what he looked like, man. That dude, he got on the good stuff. He got on that good Hollywood juice for, for his movie role. I mean, visibly. You don't put on that much muscle that fast, guys. Not naturally. You just don't. Sorry. Not sorry, but so yeah, he's gonna get his exemption from the UFC, and that fight's gonna go forward whenever because Connor is Connor. 
Uh, it was a minor bout announcement last week. I mean, I love this fight, actually. It's Ilya Taporia and Josh Emmett. Uh, it's a great fight. It's a really good fight, but... Uh, that might be do or die for Emmett, who's a little long in the tooth. It's a pretty good step up for Taporia. Um, yeah, that's a good fight. It'll be a valuable asset to whatever card it winds up appearing on, so... All right, that's what I've got at the moment here. Um, and the UFC is like, they're looking at making Steven Thompson and Michelle Pereira, which would be a fun fight. Um, nothing official for that, but we, we're due, we're due about a fight announcements here for the UFC for some bigger cards. So we'll keep an eye out for that. Um, all right, that's all I've got written here. Um, let me check Twitter. And we will, if nothing crazy in the, in the MMA sphere is broken, we will do plugs and get out of here. Alrighty, nope. Sorry about the little delay there. Uh, so, plugs. What do we got? What do we got? Uh, the usual spate of professional wrestling coverage. AW's Dark Elevation on Monday. WWE SmackDown on Friday. UFC event on Saturday. Um, Tuesday. Tuesday? Uh, pretty sure Tuesday. Let me double check. Yes, Tuesday. On Damn You Hollywood, the D Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves movie review. It will be myself, Mark Radulich, Alexis Haina, and Ronnie Adams. I knew that was a fourth. So, tune in for that if you're so inclined. That'll be, uh, we'll be reviewing it. Should be a good time. Uh, Damn You Hollywood next week, the 11th, will be the Super Mario Brothers movie, which... We're all predicting makes a billion dollars, so be on the lookout for that. <laughs> no, that's it for my podcast for the week, so just the one. All right, that's it for me. Thank you all again very, very much for listening. It, it really is humbling to know that you guys are out there listening. And again, there may not be the most of you, but... You know, I don't care. I really don't care that much. Um, the size of my audience doesn't really matter to me at the moment when it comes to this. So, Thank you for listening. It means a lot to me. I will see you all next week. We will review UFC 287 and we will preview UFC on ESPN 44. Double check. Yes. Uh, that's headlined by Max Holloway and Arnold Allen. Great fight. Also on that card, Edson Barboza and Billy Quarantillo. Heck of a fight. Give me one more. Give me one more good one. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll go with Pedro Munoz and Chris Gutierrez. Two light heavyweight fights on the main card, while Brandon Royval and Mateus Nicolau are stuck on the prelims because screw flyweights, I guess. <clears throat> oh, and there's a heavyweight fight. Jake Collier and Martin Bidet. Why? <laughs> uh. Anyway. Full preview next week. 
some good fights there. I'll, I'll be positive. Some good fights there. So we'll break it all down for you next week. I thank you very, very, very much as always. I appreciate the heck out of you guys. Thank you. Till next time, always stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.